Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast back at you with another gem. You know, there's this quote that I heard the other day. It's great. It says, don't force yourself to fit in where you don't belong. I love that quote, and it really reflects the topic of today's episode. So data shows that at least 50% of the prospects you're pitching and who are in your pipeline aren't a good fit for what you sell. You heard it right. Now, what's even more staggering is 71% of sales reps actually admit that 50% or fewer of their initial prospects turn out to be a good fit. So basically, I mean, just stop trying to close every single person you get in front of. It's an exercise in futility. It's a pointless endeavor. And as soon as you determine that prospect isn't a good fit, move on. Seems like a no-brainer, but many reps don't understand how to do just that, determine the fit. And they refuse to move on. They really want to shove a square peg in a round hole. Well, I'll tell you what. My guest today, Michael P. Hamer, who is the author of the book, Selling Righteously, is back on the show to discuss pitching the wrong person and common pitching mistakes. Michael, great to have you back. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me back. Hey, it's always great a topic. pleasure. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's great to have you. It's been a while, and, I, and I'm, I'm really excited for today's conversation. You know, you feel passionately about this, pitching the wrong people. You've seen this a lot. We've seen the stats. The data is out there. What do you make of all this, Michael? Well, um, the thing that you started with a quote, and I'll start with a quote myself. This is actually from Bobby Knight, the basketball coach. Okay. Uh, who says, everybody has the will to win, but few people have the will to prepare to win. And so that's what needs to be done to remedy this situation. With these alarming stats you just talked about, about how many times people approach the wrong people, wrong prospect that is in sales, and how much time is just wasted, knowingly wasted on on wrong prospects. So uh, the thing is, you really got to take the time to prepare and know who your prospect is and dig through immense information in people. To, uh, to alleviate the pain of, of spending time with the wrong people. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, they always talk about pre-call planning when you're, when you're doing any type of sales training. It's, you know, doing research, whether that be in the prospects you're targeting or the industry itself, the competitive landscape. And today, I mean, you know, everybody's connected on social media, you know, LinkedIn and whatnot. And, you know, we're all connected somehow. Either that or you know somebody that's connected to somebody that you know. So you figure they could go to LinkedIn to identify the proper target or even a starting point to get to that proper target, right? To me, I've seen in the past, I don't know if you've seen this, Michael, but you reach out to somebody and if you build proper rapport, obviously that person, even if they're not the right contact, they will share with you who the right contact is. Hey, Michael, really appreciate it. Glad you reached out. Looks like you have a great offering. You want to talk to this person. Let me go ahead and interview that person. Something of that nature. So obviously the outreach has to be looked at, but do you see this, Michael, as people being hesitant? You know, maybe it's a fear of rejection. We'll get to that a little bit in depth. Or is it a lack of leadership? Is it the blinding little blind where these managers really aren't holding them accountable, understanding the numbers and guiding them in the right direction? Well, it's actually a little bit of both. But actually, uh, when you talk about fear, I mean, nobody likes to be rejected uh, and turned away. But, you know, my book talks a lot about embracing biblical principles. And over 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear. So you have to go forward as a, as a Christian salesperson. And I'm, I'm taking this in the context of my book and, and talking to believers. And I know there's non-believers who may be listening as well. But... You shouldn't embrace fear when you, you have to face your fears. So if fear is, 
is one indication that you do need to go forward. But you also have to remember things like going forward with transparency and honesty to get that kind of referral to the next person that you talked about. So then the other thing is, yeah, poor leadership. You know, with the pressure of, uh, of, of making these numbers and the current economic environment, I mean, leaders are often pressed to do things they really shouldn't do. And, um, and that's because they're afraid of not making the numbers of losing their job. So it's a combination above, above what you talked about, the fear and lack of just, just uh, almost like servant leadership. Because a servant leader is going to look to serve the people, the salespeople and the customers. No, absolutely. You're right. And of course, when you have Christ from within, you know, you shouldn't fear anything, especially if you're prepared, like you, like you mentioned. What do you think? Yes. Have you seen this, uh, Michael? There's managers out there that uh, assign activity metrics. So the rep needs to show like a high volume of activity or pitches in their CRM system. So they're judged by the number of pitches that they have or activity uh, or dials, or they're incentivized to pitch non-decision makers basically because it's an activity metric that skews the sales math number. So you're really not getting an accurate pipeline or closing percentage. And it makes it almost impossible to forecast because you're basically over-promising and under-delivering. Have you seen this happen in the past? Uh, have you run into this before? Yeah, far too much in too many industries because uh, I've consulted with people in various industries. And I'll, I'll use a quote from another basketball co coach. Of course, I'm, I'm a devout Christian, but I'm also, you can say I'm a basketball fan. And John Wooden said, be careful not to mistake activity for accomplishment. So a lot of times people think because they're you know making calls or, or dialing or sending out lots of emails, they're actually accomplishing something. Or actually, you need to really go back to the preparation and really developing a profile, not only a profile in terms of demographic uh, uh, characteristics and even psychographic characteristics, but also a, a profile of the process that people want to go to who you're trying to buy. So it, it really starts by that total preparation. So when you engage your activity, you, you know, you, you're really trying to accomplish something, really trying to move the sales process forward rather than just making a bunch of calls. No, I agree 100%. By the way, I am also a big basketball fan too. And uh, <laughs> just want to let you know that I believe that my, our Lakers are going to win the championship this year. Uh, <laughs> and I think uh, LeBron takes one step closer to the GOAT status, even though Michael Jordan still sits on top of the throne as far as I'm concerned. Right. He, is, right. getting well, he we, is getting We'll have to discuss that another time, Brian, because I grew up outside Chicago, so obviously I'm a Jordan fan. Did you see The Last Dance? <laughs> yes, I did. Every I episode. Yeah, Some no. twice. <laughs> yeah, no, that was absolutely. I remember I called my grandfather because, you know, my grandfather used to go to Laker games. He would get, uh, you know, not because he was rich, but because he had friends that had season tickets and they couldn't go. A lot of times they gave it to him. And he tells me stories of him right. sit on the floor seats with Denzel Washington. And he always tells me his conversation with Denzel Washington. He said, man, I love Denzel, but I don't like Spike Lee <laughs> because sometimes Spike Lee would be there. But uh, right. yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Now, I got to ask you, Michael, sometimes I like to call this selling upstream. And what I mean by that is sometimes you have people in an organization that are connected to like the very important top officer, you know, your target, and you have them become your advocate. It's kind of like you're selling the dream to them so that they sell you into a warm intro to, you know, from that trusted employee to the actual decision maker. And sometimes that works, you know, it actually works. And they have times where the decision maker assigns like a mid-level person to kind of vet opportunities. 
And when that person deems you right. worthy, you know, they kind of kick it up. So I guess that is an appropriate time to sell, quote unquote, to the non-decision maker, even though there probably is. There's a connection to that decision maker. But I think it takes somebody that's very savvy and seasoned to understand who that person is and how to do it properly. And of course, that comes down to leadership and guidance. Uh, and that's, of course, we definitely need more of that, right? Right, right. I mean, you that's right on point. I mean, in my book, I talk about the same thing. I don't call it selling upstream. I use the example of Jesus at the Last Supper and, and washing his disciples' feet, showing them how to serve and symbolic way to serve others. So he, he prepared them to deliver his message. So a good leader prepares their salespeople to sell everybody, to sell, you know, sell people throughout the entire process and to serve others. I mean, serve the receptionist and, and find out what the receptionist needs because you may need that person on your side to get you a, a, an entree to somebody at a, an executive at a higher level with more decision-making power. So you're right. So that's part of being prepared is to be prepared to serve everybody all the time. And that's, as Christians, that's just basically what we're supposed to do, politeness and loving people, even our enemies. So, but uh, in business, you just use that, that, that love you have for people in the, in the heart to serve, to make connections. No, oh, absolutely. And, you know, as Jesus led uh, by example, Jesus led from the front. He was actually out there with his disciples, mm -hmm. you know, showing them how it's done, you know, on the, right. in, in the field. And he was actually course correcting them in real time when they would make mistakes. And, they, you know, he actually counseled them and met with them and, and gave guidance to them. Right. So it's, it's a great right. parallel there, Michael. I right. love that analogy, you know, in sales. It's, it's really it really rings true. I'll tell you that now. Now, sometimes in the sales process, you're dealing with multiple stakeholders. And it's, it's amazing how often reps fail to ask about this. You know, you've always seen that when you're scheduling an appointment or a meeting and it's, hey, are there any other people that should join us in this call? Are there any other people that are involved in the decision-making process? Or even after that first meeting, when you fail to do it, well, I need to go get approval from my VP. Okay, can we circle back and have that VP on the call? Is there anybody else we can? And it's amazing how people don't pick up on that quickly. And they don't go out there and involve every single decision maker. I remember there was one time where there was an account that I was working on this many, many years ago. And there was three decision makers. And one of them was the ultimate decision maker and outranked the other two. But the other two were tasked with vetting and recommending the final call to that person. But that person made the final decision. I remember this. And you know, I was in touch with two of them primarily. And when it came down to the very last leg of the negotiation process, uh, we were kind of spinning our wheels. It came down to myself and one of the person. And then I finally, I was getting radio silence. I finally sent an email to that main person that I had not been in contact with, but I knew this was the decision maker. I think it was 30 minutes later, everybody emailed me. We moved the deal forward. So sometimes it's not bashing through the wall. It's kind of going around it or jumping over it, you know, coming up with different strategies at that time. What do you think are some mistakes that reps are making when it comes to pitching or outreach? Anything that, that comes to mind as far as something that needs to be course Well, that, that's actually a pretty, pretty, pretty important point that you're touching on, that the fact that there may be several decision, pe decision makers involved in the process. And often you have people who, who can't say yes, but they can't say no. And so you need to ask questions to identify who else is going to be involved in making decisions. I mean, sometimes people have agents, sometimes people have consultants, sometimes people have their, their wives or, or, or their friends they consult with. So you have to make sure you know, identify everybody in the role they play. 
you know, because some people play more of a, let's say, a technical role in terms of trying to trying to make sure the person is making a purchase according to certain parameters. And some people are more involved in actually using the product. So, for instance, when I sold advertising, I sold to media buyers and they were trying to deal with ratings and, and certain parameters, certain cost parameters. But the actual store managers were the actually one who used the advertising because they, they wanted customers to come to the stores. So I had to sell both parties. And at the same time, there was a the store owner who was, for lack of a better term, I would call them the economic buyer because they can control the money. You know, they had vice versa power in terms of if everybody said yes and he said no or she said no, then it would turn into a no. Or if everybody said no and he said yes, then it turned into a yes. So you just have to, you have to, again, dig deep, uh, look to serve people Look to serve everyone. Be very transparent about what you're what you're trying to accomplish. And if you're a good salesperson, you're a good seller. And then you can overcome those obstacles of of, of not not uncovering the right decision makers or not finding out the exact role they have in the decision making process. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you have to leverage your network. I mean. You know, on LinkedIn, if you're connected to people, I mean, drop that name. Hey, I see we're both connected. Some common people would love to, you know, hop on a quick call, learn about your role, learn about the business. If there's any, if there's right. a fit, you know, or get that recommendation. Hey, Jim, I'm trying to get in touch with uh, James. You know, would you kind of bridge the gap for me and let him know that I'm reaching out to him or something like that? Or, you know, I used to have a friend that had a list and I had a list. We each had two different lists and we would compare notes. Hey, I'm really trying to penetrate this account. What do you think? And he would share that. Or you know, if you're in a common industry. So there's so many ways to get in. But I think you're right. It comes down to that fear of rejection. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, a, a staggering stat that I uncovered here is that more than 55% uh, of salespeople reported that, was, that budget was the most common reason that stronger opportunities fall apart, I'm sorry, in sales. So what it really comes down to is they haven't uncovered the budget, so they haven't asked the right questions. You know, when does your budget renew? What is it? You know, so on and so forth. But they're not building any value throughout any in the discovery conversation or the presentation. So when they start talking about budget, it's really an uphill battle and it really comes down to the fundamentals, right? It's, it's being inquisitive, being a salesperson. You have to answer the, the, ask those questions, be willing to ask questions to uncover that pain, to really figure out the need and their ultimate why. And it's amazing how people aren't really trained in the art of this. You know, I think discovery is very, very important when you're dealing with sales, either on initial outreach and it's amazing. You ask somebody about themselves and they can't help to answer. It's like a dopamine release. It works every single time. You disarm somebody. It's kind of like subterfuge. They throw out a, some type of objection and you come back with a question. You, of course, you address the objection, but you come back with a question. They can't help but answer it. And it works True. every single time. It builds rapport. You uncover amazing intel that you can use later on down the line and tie it in your value proposition and, and overcome that objection. So there, there's a fundamental need for that. What do you think, Michael, as far as what's lacking, as far as the sales process goes in the pitch, anything that, that stands out to you that you've seen uh, reps drop the ball recently? Well, uh, beside not understanding all the decision makers, uh, you're right, not establishing value. I mean, so many times people want to just express the benefits that they think are important. We're, we're not really finding out what the client thinks important or what all, all the different people involved in the decision-making buying process thinks important. So you really got to take the time to really uncover what, what the, um, sometimes they're called pain points or opportunity uh, uh, that the 
what you're selling presents. I mean, you're either, you're really you're really either selling a solution or an opportunity. So you have to really discover from the from the uh, prospect's point of view what kind of uh, opportunity they're looking for or what kind of solution they're looking for before you present. And so, because you present something that really has no value, you, you just wasted your time. No, you really haven't. You can't uh, justify the price when you haven't uncovered the need or the pain. Right. And I know that people, you know, most prospects, they will hand over authority and let you control the conversation if they look at you as an expert and a trusted advisor and not a grand inquisitor. You know, if the rapport is not built and you're coming off like an attorney on the stand and you're just firing off rapid fire questions, people are averse to that. And they're not really going to clam right. up and answer anything and say, okay, show me your price. I'll get back to you. Right. That doesn't work. But a lot of common mistakes I've seen is, not researching the prospect, you know, the company, the decision maker, there's so many tools to be able to do that. And there's so many lead gen companies out there that do this for you. It's kind of like they spoon feed you. You wonder why it's not working. Uh, not knowing the space, the, the pain or current events, you know, when you're reaching out cold and you mentioned that, you know, our, this used to work for me in the past. Hey, listen, we have something that's going to be great for you. We can overcome X and we can also give you Y, you know, so it's kind of like you're appealing to, their aspirations and their pain at the same time. So one of them is going to resonate, right? Most of the time it's the pain. Sometimes the aspiration, but you throw right. them That's knowing the space. So it's kind of a shot in the dark and it's a broad stroke. But if you know the space, you know the current pain points in the space, everybody's experiencing to some degree, right? When you're in the pitch, you know, no, no rapport, just jumping into the pitch. It doesn't work. It really, really doesn't work. And it also right. feature dumping, talking too much. No questions. You know, it, usually... When it comes to decision makers, the bottom line is what's in it for me. 50%, I think, of decision makers, when it gets to the high level of sales, they've done research on this, they want to see the product in the first meeting. They want to discuss pricing in the first meeting, which means there's urgency. They want to move this thing along. They don't have time to waste. They want to get to the point. Right. They want to buy or, or, or go home. That's, that's basically what it is. And that comes down to another mistake, which is no urgency, right? I mean, you have to know how urgent it, the pain is Right. So you can obviously move this thing along quickly uh, and lead with that and have a strong call to action. That's very, very important. So I really think, Michael, this comes down to what we talked about in the beginning, no matter what it is, whether it's pitching the wrong person, making a mistake in the pitch, you know, not having enough activity, having too much activity, whatever it is, it really comes down to the fear of rejection. And if you look at the numbers, 50% of sales reps don't ask for a close at the, at the end of a meeting. And there's so many reasons why, but they really don't want to engage. They don't want to pick up the phone. They don't want to outreach to anybody. So they don't have to answer any prospect questions. They won't have to present. They won't have to negotiate price because they don't want to be rejected. They don't want to tarnish their batting average. They don't want to skew their, their sales numbers. Now, you're a sports guy, so you can relate to this. Reggie Jackson, he leads the Major League Baseball in all-time strikeouts. That means he struck out the most in the history of baseball. But when you think of Reggie Jackson, you don't think about that. You think about a Hall of Famer. Right. You think about multiple pennants. You think about multiple World Series titles. You think about all the accolades. So you want to hit a home run, you have to step up to the plate, right? But you also have to take a swing. Right. You know? And if you don't have a batting coach or if you don't practice your swing, you're not going to be successful. And also, I'll do you one better, Michael. If you don't adjust your technique or approach based on the pitcher, you're going to be in trouble. And it's just like in sales, you have different buyer personas with different, different levels of certainty, right? So right. Some people, it's going to be easy. They've done their research. They've got a big budget. They like you. Everything works. They're going to buy right then and there. Other people, they're very analytical. 
and you have to lower their pain threshold or their action mm-hmm. threshold, you know? So you really have to adjust. But uh, I'll tell you, if you're, if you're scared, if there's, there's, there's got to be something within, you know, sales right. is not for the meek. You know, you really have to take yeah. action. And, you know, mm-hmm. it is a team sport somewhat because you're on a sales team, but it's really an individual contributor thing because you're in charge of your own quality. You're like the CEO of your own desk and you're the master of your own destiny, so to speak. So I really think you're right, right. Michael. I think it comes down to yourself as far as beating your head against the wall. And it's, it's 50% of people just not knowing how to do it properly and they're not adjusting. And the other half right. is people who are just trying to kick the tires because they really don't right. want to get involved. They get their hands dirty right. because they're fearful. And then, of um, course, you have the managers who should know this and who should weed that out and empower these people to do the right thing or in the interview process realize this is not the right person for the role and they don't set the right expectations. Exactly. So Exactly. And Brian, let me, uh, let me stop you for one minute because, you know, essentially what we're talking about is two different areas that salespeople have to prepare themselves in. One is product knowledge, and a lot of salespeople know that, but the other is customer knowledge. You know, knowing the competition, knowing the uh, knowing your customer, you know, knowing the buying process of your customer, knowing the decision makers. So when you prepare, I mean, you have to really take the time to understand that and dig deep. I mean, you should know, you, you should even project what future customers are going to be like and how they want to buy and how they want to be approached and how they want to be talked to. And the other, and the other thing in, in customer knowledge involves knowing, uh, knowing the competition, who the customer may be considering. And so a, a, lot of, a lot of these resources today, these lead generations and LinkedIn and things, everybody has access to. And I think what I see is too many people using the same technique and tactics because of LinkedIn and all these other sources. Well, you really need to not lose your authenticity as a salesperson because you need to be truthful because essentially what you're trying to build is, is trust with these buyers. And without truth and being real, there can be no trust. So uh, I just want to make the point that it's, it's two knowledges, two knowledge, two areas of expertise people have to perfect. That's customer knowledge and product knowledge. I agree. And, and you got to have both. You can't just have one and not the other. Or things going to fall apart, right? <laughs> I totally, totally agree with you, Michael. You, you couldn't have said it better. And, you know, it's funny. When you look at these, these uh, numbers, it's, it's very alarming. And when you look at pitching people, it, it's kind of like the, you look at the proper order when you're baking a cake, right? You have to follow the recipe and do things in the proper order or the cake just doesn't turn out right. So. Right. When you're building rapport, it's because you want to get to that discovery, you know, and when you do discovery, it's right. so you until that you can present and then, of course, you can overcome objections and you can properly close and negotiate. So one thing leads to the other, even though you're doing those things all throughout the entire process, but you can't even get to that point if you're pitching the wrong person, right? And you're not going to hit your numbers and you're going right. to read yourself That's, out. Yeah. So yeah your customer good. knowledge is bad. No, it yeah, is. You, you're right. Yeah. You really have to differentiate. Right. Differentiate. You are your own brand. You know, even though you're representing the right. company, you have to go out there and differentiate yourself from everybody else. Work smarter. Have that edge. Do things differently. Stand out right. in the crowd. And you're right. On LinkedIn, everybody's doing the same thing. So it's one big sea of, of one big mass. You don't see anybody individually. Right. You just see the same thing over and over again. It becomes a blur. And you just move on. Right. Look at it. You don't even read it. It's the same old, same old. And that's what happens. You know, In business and, life, Michael, you have innovators. I mean, look at the bulls. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, you know, Phil Jackson, Dennis Rodman, all the guys. You have innovators, trailblazers, trendsetters, and then you have the people that are just followers. 
you know, those people Correct. tried to copy that and they tried to emulate those innovators and do it, but they can't. <laughs> it's almost impossible. So right. be, stand out in a good way. Like you say, stand out because you have truth, you have conviction, uh, you're selling righteously, you're right. leading by example. Right. You know, you're a light in the darkness mm -hmm. and you're leading from the front. Yes. Let me give you another example. You know, in product knowledge, you made a good point there that you have to realize that you're part of the product. Uh, and so you have to be able to pitch yourself, you know, present yourself. I mean, when I, when I sold advertising, I've been selling against competitive radio stations who at times you would turn on that station, we'd both be playing the same song. And so I would get people to ask me, say, what's the difference between you buying you know, commercials from them and buying commercials from, from, uh, from my station? I would say, well, the difference is me. I'm dedicated to serving you. I'll always be you know, responsive to you. I'm dedicated to, to operate in integrity and honesty. So that's the difference. It's me. I'm, you're also getting my service and my my commitment, my uh, my values. So you have to be able to interject all that. And everybody has, you know, you can go deeper into into your own personal product pitch. I mean, you can all, you know, your own person, including your including yourself as part of the product. You know, I would say. You know, I went to this college and I have a degree in advertising and marketing and I've, I've only worked for these type of radio stations. So you can go deep into, into distinguishing yourself as different from the competition. So you are making yourself part, part of the product. So your own product knowledge has to include knowledge about who you are. You're absolutely right. Service beats out anything any day of the week. You know, at one point I was selling against Google and Google was free and ours was a paid service. And it came down to just that, that personal touch, that relationship, that personal service, going above and beyond, answering questions in a timely matter, uh, you know, fighting City Hall on their behalf, right? Going to management right. and doing things that normally wouldn't be done because it's best for business. It's best for that customer client. So I totally agree. Michael, it's been awesome. Anything you want to share before we wrap up today's session? Well, the last thing you talked about with service is great. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, you have to be great at serving. And so if you want to be great at selling, you have to be great at serving. So great sellers are great servants. So you have to be good at understanding customers' needs and, and uh, anticipate things they want and be prepared to serve. I agree 100%. 100%. A lot of times uh, reps make the mistake of, selling something, throwing it over the wall and, and moving forward on to the next one. But if you really want that account to grow and stay with you, uh, you have to stay with them. And you keep, you have to Correct. have a hand in that account and build that relationship, do what's best for them, serve them. Like you mentioned, give them the best possible service you can. And I mean, referrals, it's amazing how many sales reps do not ask for referrals and why don't they ask for it? Because they don't feel comfortable doing it because like you mentioned, they haven't been service oriented. They haven't been people first. So, Referrals the best form of business you can get. It's the easiest, no yes. effort whatsoever, but you got to ask. You got to ask. And if you're not asking for the order, obviously you're not asking for a referral. That's a whole nother ball of wax, Michael. But one last question, and I didn't ask you last time. This is a personal question. You're on an island for the rest of your life, okay? You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What are they? <laughs> one movie? Jeez. Uh, I'm on the island for the rest of my life, huh? That's right. <laughs> uh, I think I would bring uh, Star Wars. The first one? <laughs> the uh, Star Wars uh, Return of the Jedi. Okay, that's a good one. That's a very good one. <laughs> and what was the other part? Part uh, two book, of that? Book and album. An album? Uh, 
boy, what would I bring as an album? Um, I'm trying to think now. Probably uh, uh, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Oh, there you go. That's great. <laughs> it's an old album, but it's a goodie. No, it's a classic. So, And yeah, what about the book? But, yeah, but uh, one last thing about, you know, I, in my book, I advocate that people should stop counting how many sales and count how many people they get, uh, how many people they get repeat contract referrals or, or strong recommendations from. So, that's I love it. I love it. One yeah. of the best taglines I've heard is, "We don't close deals; we open relationships." Right? Yes. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful, Michael. It's been fantastic. Thank you again for everything. Looking forward to having you on again. All right, Brian. Yeah, we'll do we'll do something soon. You got it, sir. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.